Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. All right, guys, man, I am so happy to see you. I just can't believe that we get to do this all over again. I taught you something new last week, right? And I said, hey, man, are y'all ready? And y'all supposed to say what? Bring it, right? Well, four of you got it, okay? So I'll bring like a little bit, all right? Uh, But no, listen, hey, man, today I want to just tell you right off the top of the bat, we're going to go deep today, and we're going to get there pretty quick. And so, man, sometimes the subjects that we preach and teach on are not like some of the things I'm just like, man, I can't wait to give this one. Uh, today is going to be another one, and I just want to set you it, it just kind of straight up front. I am in no way trying to pick on or devalue or seem insensitive to the women in our church. Uh, man, I just want you to know that th- this is not w- what the heart of this is. Hopefully, you'll see by when we get into it, because we're going to read some words here, and if you've never wor- read these words before, it's going to be like, well, what's that about? <laughs> And you're going to want me to really do a good job of explaining it. So that's why I'm saying, hey, are y'all ready? And you're supposed to say, bring it, right? But, but y'all, y'all better be afeard today because, uh, man, I, I have, uh, and I'm not trying to brag or anything. I'm just telling you guys, I came up, uh, man, Friday night and spent about um, three and a half hours um, on my face. And then I came up here for the majority of the day yesterday And here's what I was asking God. God, is my theology going to be projected upon this text? Or is this text really going to really tell me what my theology is? Is Because I don't want to just bring what I've been taught and just continue to perpetuate things that may not be true. Really wanted to ask God afresh and anew, God, what are you really saying in this text? Because I had studied and come to the same conclusions. Man, I was going to make sure that my heart is right before God because, man, I'm going to stand and give an account for this and how I teach. Man, people's lives can be impacted greatly because of this. So with that, all that being said, can we, I know you're saying, man, we just pray, pray, pray. Well, I think Jesus said his church would be called what? A house of prayer. And I am dependent upon God. So just unselfishly, I'm going to ask you right now, would you just pray for me? right now, and then I'm going to pray for you. I want you to pray that God would just help me to make sure that he, I communicate his word clearly, and then I'm going to pray for you that you can obey it diligently. Is that, is that cool? Can we just do that real quick? So I want you to do, let's do that right now. I'm going to begin praying, and then you pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, right now in this room, I'm asking you to open ears and hearts to receive your word as it is written, God, because life change happens there. And Lord, I pray that you'd make our hearts soft today to hear your word, which is able to change us and transform us. You know, God, I beg you today for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, that God, whatever I say would be exactly not only what you would say, but how you would say it today. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, man, guys, recently, my, my wife and a couple of our kids, we went on this cruise after Christmas, and man, I love cruises, so if you're ever thinking about a gift to give to me, uh, you just send me on a cruise or take me on one with you. I, I love it. The ocean is 
where I think I want to just spend the rest of my life if I could. Um, but man, we, we took this cruise and we were leaving out of New Orleans instead of down in Galveston because of the way it, where it was going. And we left here in the Grange. We drove to New Orleans. We, we got up really early that morning and plenty of time to get on the boat and all that kind of stuff. And so we've been driving for about six and a half, seven hours. And we get to the place where you come into New Orleans and you're supposed to take this exit. And the port is nine tenths of a mile off the exit. When we come up over the bridge, our ETA was like two minutes. When we got over the bridge, it changed to an hour and 45 minutes. We're like, what's going on? This is crazy. Come to find out. Everybody and their mother was in New Orleans because there was a big bowl game going on downtown, plus three other boats. And here's the deal. There's two intersections that... 20,000 people had to get through all at the same time. There were no cops. There were no traffic control. People were jammed. People were, it was a nightmare. And it took us two hours to go two tenths of a mile. And everybody and their mother was telling people what they thought of them with some sign language. It was a mess, man. It was crazy. Everybody was frustrated. And, and there were, then when we got where we were going, you're pulling up to where you're supposed to like park. They're like, yeah, hey, park here. And then we got in that line and they said, well, no, you're not supposed to park here. Well, where are we supposed to go? Well, you got to go back there. Well, that's where all the traffic was. So we had to go back into the traffic. And then we come up and they're like, well, actually, you're not supposed to even be at this thing. This isn't your boat. It's down there. Well, then we go down there and there's nobody out there telling us where there is. So we pass it. Then we had to go back and get back in the traffic again to come back up. And then they told me, well, just, you know, drop your stuff here and then go park. Where do you want me to park? We don't know. So then I had to go find somebody else. Where am I supposed to park? And like, well, you're supposed to park four miles up the road. Well, I'm like, okay. So then I go park four miles up the road. And guess what? I have to walk <laughs> from there all the way back to the boat. And Rachel's like, baby, the boat's going to leave. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, well, uh, man, I don't know what to do. And so I'm not the only one. There's hundreds of people with me and we're all panicking. We're all freaking out. Here's my point. When we got on the boat, there were a whole lot of irritable, stressed, angry people who didn't even want to get in the elevator together. And so I was thinking, well, boy, this cruise is going to be fine. All those people who had flipped each other off, they're going to see each other now. And this is going to be a cruise. <laughs> Here's my point, man. It wasn't a very edifying experience. It did not build me up. It revealed to me my need for Jesus. I'm just going to be straight up with you. And here's really even more in-depth what I'm trying to say is for edification to happen, there has to be order. And that was totally out of any, there was no order, no control whatsoever. And it was just mass chaos and nobody was built up. Everybody had turned against one another. You're saying, Pastor, why do you tell us that? Well, I want you to know, man, that's exactly kind of some of the thing that was happening in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've covered some of this before. Just mass chaos going on in the church. 
All these people just speaking this gibberish, right? All this kind of just stuff just coming. People just stand up giving a revelation over here. People over here just breaking out with their own special thing. People over here wanting to, to criticize these people over here about using their gifts and all this. And, and there's just a lot of things going on. And nobody knew what was happening. We covered some of it last week about the tongues thing. If y'all, Well, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember that. Well, today, Paul is going to say, well, you know, just like we had to put some order and some control on tongues, we also have to deal with this thing called prophecy. Because you got to understand, Paul knew that they were getting out of control and there was no order in the service. And therefore, the purpose of the service is to edify the people of God. And so if there isn't any order, there can be no edification. So Paul said, hey, man, instead of you guys building each other up, you're tearing one another down. You're abusing all the things of God. So he writes in 1 Corinthians 14, beginning of verse 29 through 40, which is going to be our text for today. He gives them this idea. He says, listen, edification can only happen when there's order. And so some people in church, they're like, man, why do we do the service the way we do? If you've ever wondered that, it's because we take our cue from the Scripture, not tradition, uh, we're not trying to follow just religious tradition. We've honestly looked at the Word of God and said, what did the New Testament, New Testament church have that we need to have? Have you ever wanted to know what are we supposed to do as a church when what we teach and preach clashes with the culture? I mean, are we ever going to cave and give up what we believe to just trying to go along to get along with the culture? Or are we going to do something different? Because there's a huge thing that comes up in the text today. Uh, here's another question. Who holds me or Justin or even Jacob? Now, who holds us accountable? I mean, if we're standing here preaching and teaching the Word of God, who holds us accountable? Who do we give an answer to? I mean, here's another one. I mean, can a woman ever do what I'm doing on Sunday? I mean, can a woman ever stand here and preach the Word of God? That, that's a big question. That's something that's kind of sweeping through the nation right now. No matter where you're at, I want you to know that our text this morning is going to give us three procedures that we need to follow for edification to happen in worship. And if we're talking about order and we're talking about procedures, you would expect details, correct? I mean, you just know, like, hey, we're going to go over the standard operating procedures. Boring! I'm going to try not to make it that way, but we got to just face the facts. We're going to dig in. There's going to be some things we have to so just know that that's what we're dealing with this morning and my job is not to make it boring because the Word of God is never boring. If the Word of God is boring, it's because the person who's doing it was boring. The Word is never boring. Can y'all go okay with that? So if I start to get boring, uh, one of you are free to come up here and start taking over, okay? Just, just know. That's uh, good. Reggie, you'll be first. Okay, so, um, <laughs> hey, you know what I want you to do, man? Just because this is God speaking and His voice is far more important than mine. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians 14. Beginning in verse 29, would you just stay in your feet, man, as we just begin to read, um, as we begin to read from the Word of God. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be some of the seats under the chairs, uh, but it'll be up here on the screen. So Paul picks up in verse 29 where we left off. He said, let two or three prophets speak and let the others do what, church? Pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn. That's the goal. And all may be exhorted. Again, that's the purpose. 
And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of what? Peace. And then he says this. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. So, so far, you women who've already spoken, just even by saying, answer my question, you've been wrong. No, that's not what he's saying. The women are to keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. I told y'all this was going to be crazy. Was it from the, from the word of God, was it for you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things that I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. You may be seated and may God bless his word. Are y'all ready? All right, all right, there we go. I mean, I'm trying to teach y'all. Uh, okay, so here we go. Here's the first thing, man. We can follow the specific procedure for those leading with the word. We can. We can follow the specific procedure for those leading with the word. Did you know that those of us who lead with the word have some procedures that we're supposed to follow? Here's the first one. We need administration of the number of speakers. There has to be an administration of the number of people that stand here in a service and proclaim. Verse 29, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak. Well, who are the prophets? The word basically means to speak before. That's what the word prophet means. The one who speaks before. They were basically the men who spoke before the people. They're the ones who stood up and proclaimed the revelation of God. The prophets did this in two ways, by way of review. They did this one way through direct revelation. They were the ones to whom God would speak directly his word to, and then they would write it down and proclaim it. The second way the prophets operated was not just by direct revelation, but by dutiful reiteration. They would, they would just say what the apostles had already said. And so as we alluded to through 1 Corinthians, we don't find prophets later in the church. So we know that the gift of prophecy as far as direct revelation has ceased to be. Now all we have is dutiful reiteration, which I'm doing for you today. When Paul writes to Ephesus to set up the church in order, in 1 Timothy and Titus, he never mentions prophets. He only mentions pastors and deacons, never prophets. So therefore, we know that prophecy in the sense of new revelation from God ceased with the passing of the apostles because there was no new revelation that needed to be given because from the prophets and from the apostles, we have the entire canon of God's word. Nevertheless, sometimes there was a prepared message and this prophet would get up there and he was going to reiterate something that had been said and then somebody would stand and say, hey, 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 brother, I've got a new revelation from God. And that they were to speak. And then only one person could speak or two people, but never more, never more, Paul says, than three. 
Why? Because there would be chaos, and then people would start fighting for importance of their word. So there, there has to be this administration of the number of speakers to control exactly what's happening. Then we need accountability of what's being spoken. Not only do we need to kind of figure out, okay, we've got to put it in order so that everybody's not just saying stuff. We need to make sure, but then there's accountability of what's being spoken. Verse 29, the latter part, he says, and let others pass judgment. So we kind of have this, this question, well, who are the others? Well, in my studied understanding of the text, and this is not the, the only opinion, I'm just giving you my studied opinion, the others are the other prophets. They're the ones sitting in front and were evaluate using the gift of discernment, which Paul has already brought up. In other words, there couldn't be somebody just standing up and giving revelation without it being evaluated. Those who were to pass judgment were men who were also given the divine ability to discern true from false revelation. You've got to understand why that was so important in that day and why it's important today, because they didn't have the complete word of God in Corinth as we do now. It was still being written. So today, we don't need any more revelation because we have the revelation. That's Paul's whole point. So today, when somebody claims that they have a new revelation from God, Houston, we have a problem. That's why there has to be accountability of what's being put off as the word of God or a revelation. It would be helpful to know that at this point in Corinth, they also didn't have pastors. That might be new to you, but the apostles and the prophets were leading that church. So there had to be judgment on the revelation. To pass judgment didn't mean harsh judgment or offering critiques, but rather analyzing whether the message was truly from God or not. The better word for there in my study of the Greek over this past week is not so much past judgment, that's an English version, but really it rather is better to say it this way. They would discern whether the message was from God. So those with the gifts of discernment were exercising that gift. I mean, think about it like this. Can you imagine what would happen if anyone in the church said, I have a word from God, and they spoke, and nobody ever questioned whether it was really a word from God? That'd be scary. We see this elsewhere, this idea that there's accountability in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything and hold firmly to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. This is something that Paul also picked up and Luke picked up in Acts chapter 17 and verses 10 and 11. The brothers were sent immediately, Paul and Silas, away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these people were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. We just read about them, right? For they received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether those things were true. I wouldn't want you to just passively sit here and just believe what I say. I would want you to examine it, and, and, and trust me, believe this with all your heart. If I ever get off sideways, I expect the first person to be in my face is that man sitting right there, my fellow pastor. He, he, he's got to be the first person that gets in my face. 
But then I would expect you to come and, and say, hey, Pastor, we just don't really know. Help me understand where you're coming from. Because there has to be accountability. And the other thing we need is we need acceptance of a new speaker. Acceptance of a new speaker. Look in verse 30. He says, but if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. So, so here you got somebody who's well prepared and he's preaching away. Then all of a sudden, the Lord gives a new word of revelation to somebody that's sitting beside him. And he's like, hey, he pulls on his toga and he's like, hey, hey, bro. <laughs> Man, right now, right here, the Lord has just said he's got a new word for the church of God. At that moment, the scripture tells us that the one who's speaking, listen, the word there is the absolute word for absolute silence. He has to completely cease speaking in that moment. He can't be like, well, hey, bro, you know what? Afterwards, we'll let you come up here. That is not how that worked. Why? Because new revelation of God always took precedence because God was revealing his plans and his purposes to the church as it was coming through the apostles. Today, we don't have that. There are no new revelations. Let me just say it differently. If it isn't in this book, it isn't from God. Let me just go ahead and help you with that. I don't care what anybody says. They've heard from God. Uh, this is where all the cults started from, right? I was in a cave, and I was praying, and the angel of Moroni showed up and gave me these golden tablets, and this is now the new Book of Mormon. Or, you know, man, I was this prophet, and, and man, I've been taking advantage of all these little girls and, and doing all kinds of cool things, and, and I got in this trance, and, and I was in this cave somewhere, and, and now God's told me I was the last prophet, and my name is Muhammad. I'm just telling you, friends, listen to me. There is no new revelation. Do not be sucked in by it. This is the only one we've got. But in that day, if there was somebody who would stand up and speak, the church had to say, when he's silent, we have to give acceptance to the person speaking. They had to accept that. Now, now listen to me. This is where you've got to remember your context. Because some of them were saying, well, we're of Apollos. And some of them were saying, well, we're of Peter. And some of them were saying, we're of Paul. And they had their favorites. But when a man of God who had the anointing of God would stand up and speak, they were to accept him because it was God who was speaking through him. So here we have Justin and, and we have Jacob and we have myself. And I'm thankful that you guys all understand, like next Sunday, when I am not here, that you will accept that Pastor Justin has a word from God for you. That's what we have to have, man. Then we need application of self-control. We've got to have self-control. Verse 30, he says there in the last part, he says, the first one must keep silent. Do you notice that? That the one who was speaking had to have self-control. He simply had to stop speaking in that moment. He couldn't say, well, I'm just so anointing of the Spirit. I've got something to say, too. No, he had to use self-control. And do you notice that the one with the new revelation had to have control, too? He couldn't just stand up and start speaking. He had to let the other one know that he had a word. This one would stop, and this one would start when this one stopped. There wasn't this idea that's found in many churches that I just can't control myself. When the Spirit of God comes on me, I've just got to do what I've got to do. That is not what we find in the Scripture. Verse 31, he says this, he says, for you all can prophesy one by one. Those speaking were not, were not speaking over others. They were exercising self-control to wait their turn. Verse 32, look there. And the spirits 
of the prophets are subject to prophets. The word subject there is hupotasso. It means to place under. It was a military term that meant to place myself under a ranking officer. The one who planned to speak placed himself under the rank of the Holy Spirit who was leading the whole thing. There wouldn't be this disorder and there wouldn't be chaos. Go back to the text there in verse 32. It says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The word spirits is plural and it means the spiritual gifts of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, I have to exercise self-control when I'm using the spiritual gifts of God. Because one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So there is this none of this out-of-control stuff. I just kind of get slain. I just kind of hoop and holler and do my... That's not what the Scripture says. There has to be order for there to be edification. And there has to be self-control. So the spiritual gifts are to be under the control of the one using the gifts. Then we need the availability of sanctification. That's the whole point. Verse 31, he says, for you all can prophesy so that, that's the purpose clause, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Paul's saying the edification happens when there's order. When this procedure is followed, everybody can learn and everybody can be exhorted. When it is not, people do not learn and people aren't exhorted. There must be order and follow procedures because the proclamation of the word of God is for our sanctification. Without order in the church, edification doesn't happen, and therefore we don't look more like Christ. And then he says, lastly, we need the adoration of the Savior. The adoration of the Savior. Verse 33, he says these words, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. For God is not a God of confusion, but peace. You see, when we come together, there should be, by the order that we have, there should be beauty There should be dignity, and the whole thing should reflect the majesty of our Savior. Our God is not a God of confusion. That word confusion comes from a word that means tranquil or stable, and then it puts a negative prefix on the front end of it that means this. It's disorder, disruption, or even sedition, and that is not who our God is. Our God is not a God of disorder, of disruption. He is a God of order and of harmony and of purpose. For the service not to resemble order and purpose and harmony does not reflect the God that we're saying we worship. That's a big deal to God. God is a God of peace. Peace is not only the absence of conflict, but deep tranquility. So so my goal and my hope is that when you hear our people playing and singing songs, you see that, that even in that, there's a God of order and there's a God of harmony. Let's hope when you see the simplicity of this building, and we built it intentionally simple, with not a lot of high, crazy things here, because I wanted you to see the beauty and the simplicity of the symmetry of our God. I hope when you hear a message that edifies you, you see that God is a God who wants to speak to your heart. I hope that when you you feel and you see people greeting you and people smiling at you, that you say, there's a God who loves me and wants to know me. You see, here, because of this text and other places in Scripture, we have a plurality of what we call pastors here. If you're new with us, We believe, and I can share with you how I understand the scripture, that the word elder, pastor, and bishop are interchangeable in the scripture. 
We call our leaders here pastors. We don't see a distinction between pastors and elders. You're not going to find that here. But we do have a plurality of elders. If you want to call us elders, that's fine. I don't do this thing by myself. I have my brother here. And then we also have now Jacob that will be bringing along the path. We want to give more than one voice from this pulpit. It's what I'm trying to tell you. This isn't my pulpit. This is God's pulpit. We preach expositionally. That means we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because that's the point of the Word of God, is to reveal the whole counsel of the Word of God to the people of God. We don't have anything else to say but what's already been said. So you're not going to get up here and hear me say, well, I was praying this week, and you know what? I think, I think I'm just going to put this down. I'm going to tell you what God's revealed to me. You're not going to find that. Because we've got to, we go here. That, that's why we do what we do. This is why the service looks like it looks like. is because we can follow the specific procedure for those leading with the word. Secondly, we can follow the specific procedure for those learning from the word. I have my part, and, and guess what? You have your part. Did you know that? I'm going to be held way accountable for what's happening up here, but so are you. We can follow for those. So just as there are procedures for those leading with the word, there are some things we must follow when we're learning from the word, and this is where it gets tricky. First of all, I want you to see this. We can put scripture over a particular culture. We, we have to put scripture over any part of culture. We pick up, as it should be, in the middle of verse 33. So turn your eyes to the text. In the middle of verse 33, Paul says this, as in all the churches of the saints, and in the Greek, this makes better sense. I don't have time to explain it to you that the English translation has missed it. They put a comma there and this phrase at the end and started a new sentence. But in the Greek, it better flows this way. As in the, all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. Well, this is interesting. You see, in Corinth, the women were leading... And if you pay attention to the charismatic movement today, you will see that the women are leading this thing. The women were leading in this frenzy of tongue speaking, and the women were standing up just saying they had a new word from God. They were usurping the place of men, and they were not being submissive or silent. They were just simply taking over. So Paul writes, and he says, listen, this isn't the way God has created this thing. And before getting to that, let's, let's, let's hit this thing about culture, because Paul says, as in all the churches. Because if you have been around church life long enough, you'll know that many in the body of Christ take these verses and simply try to say that women can do what you're doing in the church, because this was only a specific problem dealing with Corinth, and therefore, if it's not in Corinth, we can change it to make it to do whatever we want to do. It's just a cultural issue. And so our culture is not like their culture, so women can do whatever they want to do. It's basically what people say, that women can preach and women can bring new revelations to the church. Some just say this is a cultural problem. Well, Paul says, no, it's not just in Corinth, but it's in all the churches. So he's already, he's already kind of understanding that, that that could be mistaken. Paul says, well, this is not just for Corinth, but this is for all the churches. This is not a local problem. It's not a geographical problem. It's not a cultural problem. This is a procedure for women in all the churches. Paul says it's not culture. It's a command that transcends all culture. In other words, this is not a cultural thing Paul is talking about. This is a theological thing. Verse 34, you say, where do you find this is theological? Because in verse 34, look, 
At the very end, he says, but they are to subject themselves just as the law also says. You see, that God already knew that because of sin, women, because of the fallen nature, would desire to rule over their husbands. But God said that was never the way it was intended to be. In Genesis 3, we see the effect of the curse. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. We know that's true. In pain, you shall deliver children. We know that's true. And we find this constantly. Yet your desire will be for your husband. In other words, your desire is going to be to rule over him. And then here's where the curse of the man comes. And he shall rule over you, which means he'll be a dictator and just never treat you the way that you're supposed to be. Both effects of the fall right there. So Paul knew that. And Paul said, this isn't about cultural things, and this isn't about being better or less than. This is what, how God's created things. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, dealing with the church over in Ephesus and some other places, writes similar language. And in verses 11 through 14, he says this, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And I don't know how you get around this verse, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam, here comes the theology. Why, Paul? For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was deceived and became a wrongdoer. There's your theology. It's not grounded in culture. It's not a cultural argument. It's a theological argument. Paul says, listen, women are not to take authority over men is because men were created first and because the woman is more easily deceived. When you think about revelation coming from the pulpit, do you want one who is easily deceived giving you the word of God? That's what Paul's saying. Now, many may not agree. Many may not understand. But where we don't agree and we don't understand, we have to go back to, are we going to put culture first? Or are we going to put scripture first? And we've got to put scripture first, church. So here these women are doing things that are forbidden, and Paul seems to single them out for a moment. And you're like, why is Paul picking on women? Well, he's not. He's just told some other people they have to be silent too, if you'll remember. If there's no interpreter and people are speaking in tongues, Paul says, you have to be quiet. Uh, Up there, when, when the man's preaching and somebody else has a new word of God, guess what he's supposed to do? He's supposed to be quiet. This ain't about God telling women they're supposed to be quiet. Please don't understand, misunderstand that. I'm going to explain what this really means here in just a moment. But right now, I want you to know that this is a place in Scripture where we understand that no matter what the culture says, no matter what's cool, no matter what's hip, people come to me all the time and they say, well, hey, that woman preacher down at the church, man, the church is growing and blowing and going. God blesses his gospel. Anybody who preaches it, Paul says, hey, I don't care if they're preaching it for money or they're not. As long as people are getting saved, God is to be praised. But that doesn't mean that the end justifies the means. Don't ever get confused about that. So we got to understand that when it comes to things of culture, like, like we talked about in my adult Bible study this morning, gender identity, the culture says, hey, you can be what you want to be. Scripture says, no, we're created male and female. You've got to pick Scripture. Scripture says uh, birth as a 
Conception happens at birth. The culture says, hey, you can determine when that is and do what you want to. When culture says one thing and the scripture says another, we always put scripture over culture. Scripture transforms culture. Or if you're not careful, you'll let culture transform your scripture. But then he says this, we can submit to the particular commands. Verse 34, the women are to keep silent for they're not permitted to speak but are subject to themselves just as the law also says. So let me help you understand what, what Paul was really dealing with. In my humble, my humble interpretation, I do not claim to have the interpretation. I'm just telling you the one that I think best fits the context. What was happening was that when the other prophets were standing up and evaluating, passing judgment on what was being spoken through the man of God, the women would stand up and challenge him, not from saying whether it was right or it was wrong, but usurping his authority. They weren't asking questions. They were doing what people do. They were making statements. They weren't trying to learn. They were trying to show how unlearned somebody was. When it says in verse 35, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their husband at home. In other words, there were questions they were asking. They were direct challenges is what they were doing. They were challenging the man of God because they thought they were more spiritual because they were the ones that were leading out and speaking in tongues. And they were the ones that thought they were getting all this new revelation. And, and your revelation wasn't good as my revelation, so I'm going to let you know that you're wrong. So they would question the prophet's authority. They would humiliate the prophet in public. They would shame the prophet while he was preaching. What Paul is most likely saying is that during the preaching and when it was being challenged or evaluated during that time in a service, not the entire service, but during that time when they were passing judgment on whether it was a good revelation or a bad revelation, at that time, the women were not permitted to speak. The word is signato. It means absolute silence. When there's no interpretation of tongues, people are supposed to be silent. When there's a new prophecy, people are supposed to be silent. When that is being passed upon, only the men of God who've been gifted with that gift, because Paul has just told us in 1 Timothy that no woman should be able to teach. So there's, should be, when, when that's being done, it should be left up to the men to decide that because the men are the only ones with that gift. So the command, I'm skipping over that 1 Timothy passage, by the way. So the command is for women to remain silent and to refrain from challenging or trying to take authority over a man during the service. They were to learn in submission. The text here says it is not permitted for the women to speak. Literally in the Greek, it says this. It is not turned in their direction to speak. In other words, a woman is never going to have a turn to do what we're doing. This is not about talking in church. This is not about giving announcements. It's not praying. It's about not singing. We've been doing all that. You've seen that our whole team up here this morning was nothing but ladies in the front. This is not squashing women. This is just about what God says, about what is and what isn't allowed in his church. There has to be order. So any kind of leadership in the church that places women in direct leadership over men is forbidden. So then we're to submit to the particular commands, but then we can synchronize with the particular call because verse 35, he says this, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, 
For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Again, that improper speaking in church is just when they're evaluating the prophecy. So there are roles. Men and women have been called to do certain things. Men are to be the spiritual leaders and love their wives. Women are to be to respect their husbands and submit to their leadership. Where do you get that, Pastor Steve? Look in Ephesians 5. But this presupposes that women want and can learn theology. And I'm telling you, they can. <laughs> and I encourage women to go to school. I encourage women to learn theology and learn about the things of God. This also presupposes that husbands will have an answer. Oh. See, you thought this was about women. I'm going to tell you who it's really about here in just a second. Paul says that for a woman to have a preaching role during their worship service or have authority over man is, is improper. Look there in your text. He says, for it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. That word improper means ugly or deformed. So it is a deformity of God's intention or call for a woman to stand and preach in a church. It's a perversion of his beauty and order, and it turns everything into ugliness and confusion. Women can teach. I'm telling you, they can. They can teach other women. That's who they teach. Women are gifted teachers. We have a lot of gifted women in our church, and I praise God for them. They can lead. Women can lead. They can lead other women. So thankful for all our women in our church and what they do. Women can serve in our church. You see it happening all the time. Thankful for all the ladies who do so. And I would say this to you who are listening by way of radio, and if you're driving down the road, if you have a woman pastor, I would leave. Because it is not God's plan. Again, God has a plan, a call on women and men. Husbands are to love and to lead. Wives are to respect and respond. And God wants this manifested in his church. And when it isn't done that way, it violates the last point. We can't adore the Savior because it doesn't reflect his order. And while it may be ugly, a deformity for women to do that in church, I think Paul's point is this. It's even more of an ugly thing and a deformity for when the woman asks the man a question at home, he doesn't know. He says there, let, let her ask her husband when she gets home. That tells me this. Those men had better be studied because women are going to ask some real questions. So I guess the question is, man, husbands, have you studied and have you read and have you disciplined yourself in the things of God that you can really lead your wife in the theological things that she really needs you to? I mean, have you earned the right to be her spiritual leader? Let me make it real for you on a Sunday. Do you know more about the, the playbook of God than you do the playoffs that'll show up today? Can you quote more scripture or more stats? Does your wife have to go to her adult Bible study teacher to get the questions she needs answered because you just don't know? And many men often tell me, well, Pastor, I'm not a reader. Was well, this thing called Audible? And it reads to you. Pastor, I just can't read the Bible. Well, there's a thing called you version, and it reads the Bible to you. This is never about what you can't do. It's what you won't do. So 
So we can, we can beat women down for doing what they want to do, but I'm telling you, the reason a lot of them stand up is because men won't. I'm just telling you. And I don't know what the Lord's saying to you as a man. I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm trying to fire you up. And right now, if that didn't work, if you're like, hey, please be soft with me, I can't. Because on this issue, we need men to stand up. If you want the gender identity crisis to change, it's going to take real men being men. I'm telling you. We can follow the procedure for those leading with the word. We can follow the procedure for those learning from the word. And lastly, we can follow the specific procedure for those living out the word very quickly, quickly, fast, gone. It's out of here. Paul knows there'll be some who don't like what he's just said. <laughs> I know there's some things I've just said that you won't say. I'm sure while I'm in the Dominican, my email box and the phone calls from the community are going to go crazy. But now he turns those and says, listen, you've heard it. You pastors have heard it, and you people there have heard it. Now, for everybody who would desire to live it out, here's some things. We can exercise dependence on the Bible. Verse 36, he says this, hey, was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? Paul's really saying this, hey, this didn't originate with you. I mean, you didn't make these rules up. I did. You heard it from me. Others have it too. You can't make up your own rules. Some were saying that Paul just wasn't correct on this. This was just his own thinking that it really wasn't the commandment of God. I mean, how could God put such strict rules on women? That can't be. And today, people just kick Paul out. A Pauline theology, we're just going to kick that to the side. We're just going to make up our own stuff. I mean, this can't be true. This can't be the way. Paul says, well, it is. And, and you don't want to argue about this. Because you didn't write the word of God and you're not a law unto yourself. This is not a cultural thing. This is the word of God and your feelings don't matter. You subject all that you are and you depend upon the word of God. If we're going to live out the word, we have to understand that we are dependent upon the word to solve all of our issues and answer all of our questions. We have to be dependent upon the Bible. We can't just obey our feelings or please do not follow this ideology. It says just follow your heart. Your heart is deceived and wicked and depraved. Don't follow your heart. For God's sake, lead your heart. We just do what others are doing. We just do what's best for the most people, right? We don't want to hurt people and, and say truth to them that's just going to offend them and oppose them. No, 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 no. What does the scripture say? Speak the truth, but do it in what? Yeah, we can't just give up the truth and focus on the love part. Then we got to exercise deference to the Bible. Deference to the Bible. Verse 37, he says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Paul's saying this, you're either the one who wrote it or you need to obey it. If you're not going to obey it, well, then maybe you wrote it. Or maybe you're saying it's not for me, it's just for everybody else. Paul said, no, this is for you. And your, your thing that you've got to get is just to obey it. Verse 37, if you think that you're a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things I wrote to you are the Lord's commandment. And no, follow his logic. He's saying, if you think you have the gift of prophecy or of tongues or that you're spiritual, because that word spiritual means spiritual gifts. If you think you have these, then if you do, you're going to know that what I've written is true. If your spiritual gift is legitimate, 
You will acknowledge that I am speaking the word of God to you, and if you acknowledge that this is the word of God, you will bring your gifts into submission to the principles I've just laid out. If you don't, then you are the one that isn't operating in the true revelation of God. So he also makes the claim of being inspired by God. Too many today try to take a pass on Paul and say, well, Paul, I don't know if we can really believe and trust what Paul said, but Paul said, I've written you the commandments of God. It is the inspiration and the revelation of God. We don't have a choice but to obey it. Then we can exercise discipline of the Bible, verse 38. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Listen, it literally says this in the text, in the original text. It says, if anybody ignores these, you ignore him. If somebody doesn't recognize that this is the word of God, then he or she can't be recognized as having those gifts. In other words, it isn't like this, well, pastor, we just kind of disagree on this, and I'm going to preach and teach and do what I want to do. You preach and do. Now, that isn't what happened here. He says you ought to ostracize them and shut them down because they're really a phony. (laughs) I remember, I remember reading this service, uh, the story about this kid, and, and the service was over, and the people were just kind of milling around, and a father and his son were standing at the back of the church, and there was this bronze plaque mounted on a wall with a military emblem and the names of a number of men. The boy asked his father what the names were, and his father said, those are the names of the people who had died in the service. The little boy said, well, which service was it? Was it last week's service? The service before? The night service, daddy tell me what to do so I don't die in the service. Listen, I'm not telling you that if you get this wrong, God's going to take you out. But I am telling you this, we get this wrong, there are consequences. I'm telling you, we get this thing wrong about church, there are consequences. There is discipline involved in the kingdom of God. If you are not going to recognize the Bible as the word, then we are never going to take you seriously here as a leader in this church. We can exercise desire for the Bible, verse 39, and I'm almost done. He says, don't trust a preacher who says that, by the way. Um, Verse 39, look there, I've taught you, church. Listen, verse 39, therefore, everybody see it? What do you ask, church, when you come to a therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Right? He says, therefore, based on everything I've said, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and don't forbid to speak in tongues. Earnestly desire to prophesy, to speak the things before people. Why? Because prophecy brings edification, exhortation, and comfort. Earnestly desire this book. Can I make an appeal to you, my beloved brethren and sister? Whatever you do, please get into this book. Let this book consume you. Listen to me. Your life will change if you get in this book. There are promises here. There's daily direction here. There's vision here. There's answers here. There's the knowledge of God here. Who is God? Who are you? Why are you here? How do I live my life? How do I go about my marriage? How do I raise my kids? What job am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do my job? What does the future hold? Where is joy found? What's my food look like? What is life like? Can I pray? Can I not? It's all here. Everything you are looking for is right here. Paul says, earnestly desire this book. Earnestly desire this book. It's how you grow as a Christian. It's the place of exhortation. There's a song I used to teach kids in my backyard, and we'd have backyard Bible clubs in the summer, and it was this. 
Read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible and don't pray every day, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. I wonder why the world thinks we've got a bunch of midgets when it comes to the church. Did you know that the church used to dictate culture? Did you know that the first colleges on the planet in America were founded by Christians and were to teach the Word of God? When people had issues in culture, they always came to the man of God. I'm telling you, friends, I'm just telling you, I know this to be true. The average person in America only opens his Bible twice a week. Once is on service on Sunday, and once is for another service that they attend. Paul also says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. You know that we've covered this at that time. That gift was still operational. We talked about earlier how it was going to fade away. But until it did, Paul said, don't stop the legitimate gift. Again, tongues is in plural as opposed to tongue. We talked about the difference, the true gift, the false gift. It's a known language communicating the gospel. And when that was still happening, Paul says, don't forbid it. But then the apostles and those gifts ceased. So today we don't see that. And then he gives a summary statement. He says, but in all things must be done properly in an orderly manner. Properly means a decent pattern and beauty. And the things to be done in an orderly manner. Remember, edification only happens when there's order. So let me ask you this question for those of you who really need some help. Can I challenge you to get into a growth group or can I challenge you to attend an adult Bible study? If you need help, man, figuring this thing out, in our adult Bible study and our growth groups even right now on Sunday nights and some other nights, we're going through a book and we just read the Bible one chapter a day for five days and then we get together and talk about it. Because we're trying to say, hey, let's get into the Word of God. We're trying to help people. So if you get into a group like that, it supports you and encourages you and helps you. Helps you. Man, I wonder if you guys would make your way up here because we're going to close this thing and people are like, finally. <laughs> I'm hungry. Edification happens when we follow procedures. You know, taking you back to our cruise, when we got on the boat, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise. I'm trying to make it so that you'll be on a cruise, so you'll take me. But anyway, here's the deal. When you get on the boat, man, one of the first things they start telling you about is you've got to meet in your muster station. And that's where everybody, they break you down in these different groups, and they put you out by where the lifeboats are. And so they tell you, in case of an emergency, in case something's going on, you're going to hear some speakers go off. And this group of people, all you're supposed to meet here. And you put on your life jackets and then put on life jackets for your kids. And then you guys are going to get in the boat. Women and children are going to go first, that kind of stuff. And, and so here's, here's the deal, man. If something were to happen on that boat and everybody were to do their own thing, can you imagine what would happen? People would lose their lives. I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to say. If everybody in church just does their own thing. This ship's going down. I think that's what he's saying. So God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Can I just tell you today that 
there's some things about the peace of God that you need to know. There, there is the peace of God, and only believers in Jesus Christ can know that peace. And the way that you know the peace of God is to have peace with God. Did you know that today, unless you've given your life to Jesus Christ and turned from your sin and confessed your sin to him and asked him to forgive you through putting your faith and the fact that he died for you, was buried for you, if you've never made that decision with your life, did you know that right now you are an enemy of God? And here's what I need to tell you guys. God always wins. And you don't have peace right now, and you would know that. You, you may be disguising it as trying to find it in a lot of places, but at the end of the day, you know you're not right, and you don't have any peace. And I'm trying to tell you how to get peace with God, because the peace of God can be found with peace with God through having peace in God. And my heart's desire today is that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would come place your faith in him because he loves you and he would give you this peace and then your peace would be in him what a what a precious thing it is to have the peace of God my job you can only imagine that I spend a lot of time at people's bedside and I'm going to tell you something there is a distinct difference you can argue this all day a person who knows Jesus dies a different way than a person who doesn't. Because in those moments, the agony of hell will torment you like you've never known. And you'll take your last breath and step out into an eternity without God. But today, God's saying, man, you can come to him. You can have this peace. Or maybe some of you just need to come and say, Lord, I need to get into your words. Some of you maybe just have... Other things going on in your life, you're like, man, I just needed this message. God told me to quit my job during this. God speaks in crazy ways, doesn't he? So why don't you stand to your feet? Let me pray. And you come as we sing about having your own way, God. Holy Spirit, would you take this incredibly difficult message? And God, just help us to really think and marinate on what it is that you're saying and move out in obedience. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. May this be our prayer.